Good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. Man, I hope you guys enjoyed that burrito breakfast in Bible class. If you didn't get a burrito this morning, we're real sorry about that, but you need to come to Bible class next time in Christian love. <laughs> no, we're just, we had a great fellowship this morning. I mean, I got to go around all the classrooms and man, people were talking and sharing and we ate Gob's burritos. Let me just tell you that. Um, if you look up the definition of man, here's what you're going to find. An adult male human. Not much, of a, not much of a definition, is it? I mean, that's, and I think that's why we've sort of struggled over the years to define what manhood has been all about. I, I mean, I think we've been doing this since the beginning of time is trying to figure out what a man is or how you would define a man. But there's ways we've sort of wor- worked around this and figured this out. Like, for instance, we have the tough man. All right, we have the tough man. He's self-sufficient. He's strong. He's fearless like Link. And uh, <laughs> you knew that was going to happen, right? <laughs> I love you, man. All right. He's fearless. He's resolute. He's independent. And remember, real men don't cry and they don't eat quiche. Then we have also, we have this, we have the sensitive man. And the sensitive man, he's, he's aware of his feelings and he's aware of the feelings of others and he's emotional and he's easily overwhelmed. And you need to remember about the sensitive man, it's okay to cry and it's okay to eat quiche. And then we just have the average guy and he's just average. I mean, he's sweet and he's caring and he loves the simple things of life and he doesn't really take huge risk, and for the average man, he doesn't understand the big deal about crying or quiche, but I got to let you know that when I was a little boy, I remember watching this TV show, and to me, it epitomized manhood. I mean, the guy on the screen, he was tough, but he was sensitive and he was just an average guy. And, and I would just remember thinking, this guy is the man. And, and, and the person I'm referring to is Daniel Boone. Okay, now I'm showing my age, all right? I'm showing my age. Just wait, okay? This show came out in 1964, and I was only one year old. No, not really. I was older than that. It came out in 1964, and for 165 episodes, it just talked about Daniel Boone being the man. Now, I'm going to show you a clip, and the clip is the opening to Daniel Boone. Now, I want to let you know this is not in high definition. We were just lucky if we had color, all right? And so this is the opening to Daniel Boone. just makes you want to go load all those things up and watch, right? 165. 
Here's your next binge, all right? Here's your next... next. <laughs> but I remember just being mesmerized by, by Fess Parker, and that was Daniel Boone, right? And, and he would take care of his wife, Rebecca, and his daughter, Jemima, and his son, Isaiah. And him and Mingo, they would conquer the frontier. And I would just remember thinking, this guy, he is a man's man. And I don't know what your definition of manhood is. I don't know what that is. Whatever definition that you come up with, it pales in comparison to understand that God became man. God became man. Paul, in the book of Philippians, what he's going to do in Philippians chapter 2, he's going to describe the greatest of all journeys that took place. And the greatest of all journeys that took place is when the Son of God emptied out all of his divinity, everything that made him God, and he took on the form of a man, and not just any man, but a slave. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, I like one of the versions where it says this, he truly, he became truly human. Now, I don't know if, if, if Jesus ever took an axe and cut a tree in half like Fess Parker did. But I know this, that Jesus Christ was the man above men, all men. And as we look at the humanity of Jesus today, there's, we naturally run, our minds naturally go to the Gospels because that's, the, that's where we find most of what, about his humanity. I mean, there's some Old Testament stuff, but it's amazing to me, and this is so comforting, that God became man and as we look at some of the descriptions of how Jesus took on the form of humanity, we, we look at different scriptures and different things. First off, Isaiah chapter 53, this was uh, cited earlier. Isaiah chapter 53, here's what we find out about Jesus. Jesus was this average looking guy. I mean, you would be walking by Jesus on the street and you would never ever notice him because of his looks. He would never make GQ, ever. He got tired and he needed a drink of water. He cried. He felt the sting of rejection. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He got angry. He was tempted. And in Hebrews chapter 5, we find him crying out to God. And as we begin to look at all these scriptures and others, we begin to think about all the other possibilities of his humanity. I mean, think about this for just a second. Jesus went through the terrible twos. Jesus had, Mary had to tell Jesus no and discipline him. I think Jesus probably had a crush on a girl in Nazareth. Besides that, he struggled through the difficult teen years. He went through puberty. He got, and he, he probably fought with his brothers and sisters. And all of these are just a part of the humanity of Jesus Christ. And today I want to show you another clip. And this clip is from The Chosen. And, and what we've done is we've put together two episodes, or not two episodes, but two, two times in, to show the humanity of Jesus. The first one is in Jesus talking to the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. And the other one is, is what we would suppose would happen, we're not sure, obviously, is his final goodbye to John the Baptist. Let's watch this. 
to give me a drink? Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan, and a woman. I'm sorry. I should have said please. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know. But not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon. Just the heart. <laughs> you promise. I promise. So you're really going for it? You know I can't be silent. I know. Soon I will break my own silence as well. Soon? Such a strange word, soon. Could mean anything. I love you. And thank you for letting me see that. I heard about the miracles, but I never thought I'd actually get to see one. Well, timing is everything, I guess. And John, what you are about to do. I've lived my whole life with warnings. Warnings are how I know I'm on the right track. It's not a warning. You're doing what you're supposed to do. I'm just reminding you to be sure to listen to God's voice as you do it. Always. See, I hope you were comforted, encouraged by the humanity of Jesus. But you might be just a little bit confused right now because you're thinking, Bill, we're in this series called But We Do See Jesus, and we're supposed to be concentrating on pictures of Jesus outside of the gospel accounts. I mean, that's what Monty and Chris have talked about for the last couple of weeks, right, is seeing Jesus outside of the gospel accounts. And and while it's true, I've leaned into the gospel accounts to, to give us and introduce the picture of the humanity of Jesus. I want to propose a picture of the humanity of Jesus beyond the gospel accounts. There is this tendency, there's a tendency for us to believe that the humanity or the humanity of Jesus Christ ended at his ascension. That when he went up into heaven that he lost 
all of his humanity. And, and what I want to tell you today is this, is while he lost his fleshly body, he did not lose his humanity. And, and I think that's significant. He lost his fleshly body. Yes, he lost his flesh, fleshly body, the spiritual body, but he did not lose his humanity. And this is so important for us as we see Jesus is to present his humanity not just while he was on earth, but to present him as human in his ascension, human as he is enthroned at the right hand of the Father. So why is this important? Why is it so important to see Jesus and his humanity beyond the ascension? I mean, what's the big deal about that, Bill? And the big deal is this. The New Testament over and over again will urge us, and he urges the people that they were writing to, not to lose the humanity of Jesus. Don't lose his humanity at his ascension. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Get your Bibles out. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. What we find in Scripture is this. Here's the fact that those who either diminished or discounted the humanity of Jesus, they either struggled with their faith or they abandoned their faith all the way. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, and this is the verse where we are, our series is coming out of, it's rooted in. Let's read this together. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Now, remember what's going on here. The Hebrew writer is writing to his audience, and the audience is, is contemplating this. They're thinking about walking away from Christ. They're thinking about leaving Christianity to go back into Judaism. And the Hebrew writer is talking to them and he's saying, listen, I want to let you know something. One of the pictures I want to draw for you, as he draws many pictures in the book of Hebrews, one of the pictures I want to draw for you is that I want you to continually see and perceive the humanity of Jesus. And when you get that word see there, it's this continuous look. It's, it's to continuously look at Jesus and perceive him in his humanity with greater vividness. And this is one of the things he's urging them and writing them about. It's this verb that says repeatedly and continually, I want you to do this. I want you to see Jesus in his humanity. The other one is, turn to 1 John. First uh, John chapter 1 and verse 1. John starts off his letter in this incredible way. John 1, 1, it says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hands and have touched, we proclaim him concerning the word of life. What a strange beginning, but it's really not. See, John is writing to this, he's writing to these people who are in a perilous situation because they're about ready to abandon the fleshly look or fleshly feel of who Jesus was. And he reminds them over and over again, listen, I want to let you know, I've heard the Savior. I've seen the Savior. I've touched the Savior. It's important for you and your faith that you understand the continued humanity of Jesus, 
even as he sits enthroned on high. For the first century Christians, there was something very perilous in diminishing the importance of the humanity of Jesus. And it's really, it's important for us to remember his humanity also, because here's what happens if we don't. We forget that he's real. And we, we almost develop this fairy tale G- picture of Jesus. And so it's important for us to be reminded of his humanity, not just in the Gospels, but now enthroned on high after the ascension. So the question is this. So what is his continued human work? What's the continued human work as he sits enthroned? What is the work that he does, the human work that he continues to do? There'll be two passages in the book of Hebrews that will describe this, but I want to let you know that both of these passages of scriptures which describe the continued human work of Jesus enthroned have to deal with in the midst of our temptation. In the midst of temptation, Jesus does his human work enthroned. I don't know about you, but... uh, Temptation is a very, very lonely place, isn't it? I want you to think about your temptation. It's really lonely, isn't it? There's this loneliness to temptation because here's what we're feeling at the moment in time. It's me and Satan out on this battlefield, and we're trying to slug it out, and Satan is fighting us, and and I'm out there all alone. I'm out there all alone. I'm trying to fight this temptation as Satan's trying to control my heart and my head and my life. And it's a really, really lonely place. If it wasn't for the humanity of Jesus. Turn to your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And we're going to start reading in verse 14. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. It says this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and frees those who all their lives were held slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not the angels he helps, but Adam's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in his service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of his people because he himself, now watch this, suffered when he was tempted, now here it is, and he is able to help those who are being tempted. And I want you to know it's so comforting to me to know that Jesus was tempted just like us. Just like us. He was tempted just like us. And more importantly, his ascension did not stop that work on our behalf. It means that Jesus is not disconnected from me. Jesus, who lived like a man, continues to have the heart of a man... And comes to the aid, especially in the moments of weakness and temptation. Did you hear that? In the moments of our weakness and temptation, 
Jesus, who has the heart of a man, still ascended to the Father, comes to our aid, comes to our help. So I began to look up, so what does this mean, help? What is this? It sounds really nice and comforting, but it comes from the word sucre. I didn't say sucker, sucre. And it's so weird, and you're going, okay, that didn't help me at all, and it doesn't help you at all. I'm sorry. It doesn't help you at all, but here's what I want to do. I want to draw two pictures of you, two pictures for you that have the meaning of he comes to help. The first picture is this. The first picture is a parent running to their child. Man, for those of us who are parents, remember the kids when they start crying? I mean, you knew the cry. There was a cry, and then there was the cry. And the cry was, I'm getting up, and I'm moving, and I'm moving really fast. That's this word. That's this word. It's apparent. It says, now look at it again, verse 8. He is able to help. It's this word right here. But the other picture he draws is of a 911 call. In the midst of our temptation, in the midst of our weakness, and we're out there and we, and we think that we're all alone. We think that we're battling Satan all by ourselves. And inside we're just, we're crying out, God help me. And guess what he does? It's like 911, how may I help you? And he comes and he rushes to our side in the midst of our temptation. And so, going through temptation is not a loneliness thing anymore. It's not, we're not out there by ourselves. We're not out by ourselves struggling with temptation because Jesus, like a parent does to a child, and like a 911 call does, he comes to our side and our aid. And here's what it changed for me is this. In the midst of my temptation, here's what I always thought that Jesus and God thought about me. That they were disgusted with me. That they were repelled by the fact that I am being tempted. I always thought that there was this element. That's why I felt alone. Right? That's why we feel alone, doesn't it? Sometime in the midst of temptation. Because we believe that that Jesus and God are repelled by our temptation. But this, this verse says exactly the opposite. That Jesus is not repelled by our temptation. In fact, he hears us and he comes to our side, our help. Now the next one, Hebrews chapter 4. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. Just turn a page over. Look at verse 15 and 16. Again, the context of both of these are the uh, great high priest. But uh, somebody's going to take care of that later on. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15. Notice this one here is this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable, now watch the word there, sympathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet is without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace in he to help us in our time of need. Again, the imagery is the high priest, but I want to emphasize the humanity of Jesus. 
And in verse 15, it says, he's able to sympathize with our weakness. Now, he defines weakness in the text. He says that's temptation. All right, he defines that there. So here's what happens is this. In the midst of our temptation, he sympathizes with us. And here's what it means. He compassionately understands. He compassionately understands our weakness and our temptation. But it goes beyond compassion. It goes to this. Literally what happens is he comes and he enters with us into suffering that comes from being tempted. All this time when we thought we were alone in the midst of temptation, all the time we thought we were alone in the midst of our weakness, it's not true, it's a lie of Satan. The human work of Jesus continues because what he does, he enters into the suffering that we're feeling because we're being tempted. And then it releases all these horrible things that we thought about how God viewed us. You see, God doesn't look down on his throne and go, oh man, here we go again. Here we go again. You're supposed to straighten that area of your life out. What's wrong with you? I thought you loved me and all these messages that we began to self-talk are into. I thought you would do better than this. How long have you been a Christian? He doesn't do that. And he's not bored with us in the midst of our temptation or our weakness. Oh, man. Bill's struggling with that again. I'm oh, man, it's just same thing over and over again. What is wrong with him? And finally is this. He doesn't show contempt. He doesn't show contempt in the midst of my weakness and my temptation. If they would just do what I'd say, they just they wouldn't have to struggle with this all the time. Brad, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you, Brad? Do we have to go over this again and again and again? It's none, listen, it's none of that. It's none of that. Why? Because just because he doesn't have his fleshly body doesn't mean he stops doing the human work of a Savior. Amen? He doesn't stop the human work of being a Savior. And that's how we need to see Jesus. But seeing the continued work of His humanity, there is a call for us. There's a call for us in His continued humanity. And it, and it looks something like this. I want you to go back to Hebrews chapter 4. You should be there. Look at 4 verse 16. Now notice in 4.15... He says, I sympathize with you in the midst of your weaknesses, which we know weaknesses is your temptation. I sympathize with you. Now watch this. Notice what he says in 16. Let us then. Let us then. And here's what's happening. It's like, because of this, because he sympathizes with you, let us then enter the throne room with confidence. 
Let's enter the throne room with confidence. And it's this beautiful, beautiful imagery here. And the question is, why can I have confidence? Well, we have confidence for two reasons. Number one, the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. But the second thing is, is because even in his ascension, he still has the heart of a human. And because of that, he could sympathize. And because he could sympathize, I could go before the throne room of God with confidence. And you know, the, and you know what's happening here? It's something like this. As a citizen of God's kingdom, I could come before him and I could freely speak my mind without fear or inhibition. Even in the midst of my weakness and my temptation. It's the imagery of a man standing before this this town council or this council and he comes before him and he just speaks his mind, whatever it is. There's no inhibition. And it looks something like this. God... I want you to know that I'm feeling this right now, and I need your help. And I need it right now, and I wish you would come to my side. We could speak confidently with the throne of grace to find mercy and grace in our time of need. So today, are you struggling with weakness and temptation? Here's what Jesus is calling you today. Freely speak. Freely share. And freely open up because he cares for you. But that's not the only call. There's a second call. And here's the second call. The second call is the call to suffer. And you're going, wait a minute, Bill. This was a really encouraging sermon until you brought this up. A call to suffer? What do you mean by that? Go back to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, it says this. Because, verse 18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. So here's what's going on with Jesus. What's happening is Jesus is, is that in the midst of temptation, he is suffering. Now, We understand that, right? Jesus endured great suffering in the midst, in order not to sin, in the midst of his temptation. Think about it for just a second. Matthew chapter 4 and verse, Matthew chapter 4, it says that Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And then notice the language there. And then he became hungry. Now I go like day two. But 40 days and 40 nights, and then guess what? Then he says, and then he became hungry. And right at that moment in time, Satan comes down and says, See those stones? I'm smelling hot baked bread. I'm smelling bread, Jesus. Come on now. I know you're hungry. Come on. We don't know how many days that lasted, do we? It just says it happened. But here's what the point is. Jesus suffered in order not to sin. And Jesus calls us to the same fight against sin. It means this. It is better to suffer than to sin. Did you get that? It's better to suffer than it is to sin. And and I got to tell you, honestly, I wish... 
that this was a habit in my life. This, I would rather suffer than sin, but i got to let you know that there's been too many times in my life when I've given in too easily and I've given in too quickly to the slightest temptation. And the call, because of the humanity of Jesus, the ascended Jesus, is this. It is better to suffer than it is to sin. And that's how we see Jesus. We see Him, and He calls us to this present humanity of the present humanity of Jesus. And He calls us to this, this confidence, and He calls us to this life of suffering. And far beyond what the Gospels tell us, we now see, we see Jesus, but we see him ascended to the Father in all his glory and honor, and yet we still see the humanity of Jesus. And that's good news for us today, isn't it? It's good news for us today. So the invitation is two parts. The first part is this. As Christians, we do see Jesus. We see the beautiful work of his continued humanity as he sits enthroned in the heavenly realms. Jesus could sympathize with us. He helps us. He comes alongside of us in the midst of our temptation. And because of this, we have confidence to go to the throne room of God and speak frankly and honestly with God about anything and everything. But today, for us as Christians, here is the invitation. The invitation is this. You need to know that Jesus is on your side. He's there in the midst of your weakness and your temptation. And I want to let you know that we're by your side, too. We're here for you. And if you need us to come alongside of you and help you in the midst of your weakness and temptation, please, please let us know, because we are here for you. But if you're not a Christian today, I want to let you know that Jesus loves you and cares for you. And he desperately wants you to become a Christian. He desperately wants you to become a Christian. To believe in his name, confess his name, and be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. And here's the beautiful thing is this. He comes alongside. If we could help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.